I've entitled today's message, The Power of Life, and I've entitled it this for two reasons. The first reason is I hope that in four simple words, I will summarize that uh, which I, I believe the Lord laid on my heart to share with you this morning. And then the second reason is that it serves as a reminder of the truth that we as believers live in. We live in the power of life. So my first point is entitled, My Determined Purpose. And as I share about this, I want you to think of it more from inside to outside. Because so many times what we do is we try to change our actions in the hopes that our hearts change. And actually what happens is that as a result of an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, we are changed from the inside and our lives look different to those around us. And so as I share with you, I'm gonna be sharing from Philippians 3 verse 10. I'm specifically reading from the Amplified Classic Version. And as I read from, uh, from this version, I want you to really pay attention to the terminology used. Um, and I also encourage you to go read it at home, specifically from the Amplified Classic Version, and meditate on, on what it says. So it goes like this. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness even to his death. See, our, as believers, our determined purpose is to know him. It's not our secondary purpose, it's our primary purpose. As believers, it's to be in relationship with him. Everything else comes from there. Even the cross came about because of that, putting us in right standing with God the Father. So if it's not our secondary, but our our primary purpose, it is our absolutely determined, overwhelmingly most important thing in our lives. We need to place that much emphasis on it. I find, however, we sometimes get distracted with small foxes, with the small details. We sometimes major on the minors. We are pretty good at beating ourselves up. And we're our own worst critics. And even sometimes we uh, assume what the Lord will say to us about those things. Again, closing those doors. But it's not just a ticket to heaven, the blood of Christ. It is right standing with God, and it's more than that. And I thought to start from that departure point today, to share two things about the blood of Christ. So the first one is that the blood of Christ satisfies the righteousness of God. There was an atonement that took place. Jesus took our place, and as a result of that, he bore our sins on him. And because of that, we can live in liberty. And we all really do understand that component. That, com that component we, we get. But it's the second component that I wanna share with you that sometimes we're a little bit slow to grasp or sometimes we think it's, it's, too, it's too good. It's too good to be true. Why would he do that? And this is the second component. The blood of Christ restores man to God the Father. And to reword that, I would say, we now have favor with God the Father. So I want to read to you two scriptures. The first one is 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. And it says, For he made him who knew no sin 
to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I want you to take note of this, in him. The second part is Romans 3, verse 26. It says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, it's in Jesus. In those two scriptures, it all has to do with his righteousness and what he does, and nothing actually about us attaining salvation or attaining righteousness. We need to accept this. So I wanna paint a picture quickly, and as I paint this picture, I believe it's something that either we have struggled with at some point in our lives, or it's maybe something that you're currently struggling with. And it's, you've come to Christ, you know that you're saved, you know the first part of this thing with regards to the blood of Christ. You know that he has taken your place and, and sin is no more in terms of the, the judgment of that sin. But what happens is you start to come to church more, you have a desire to, to know the Lord more, you start to attend life group perhaps, you read the word more often, you're starting to get to know things, and as you do this, you start to realize that your life does not match the life that you read in God's word. And you start to beat yourself up about it. Maybe there's something in particular that you struggle with. Maybe it's your temper. Maybe there's a repetitive sin that you keep falling into. And each time it happens, you beat yourself up about it. But you go, you're strong for maybe a week or two weeks, or maybe even for a month. You don't fall into this trap, but then you fall again. And as you do, what happens is you beat yourself up about it, and there's even condemnation that comes upon you. And you start to think like, start to think things like, am I even saved? Will God forgive me? The enemy is lying to you with those questions because you are already saved. You've already submitted to him. If you have submitted your life to Christ Jesus, then you are saved. And we all go through a process of sanctification. And maybe when these moments happen, we cry out in desperation, going, Lord, save me. So why do we do this? We do this because we're still hoping that we still have some righteousness of our own. We do this because we think maybe in our actions, we can come closer to the Lord. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's in Christ. It's nothing to do with our righteousness. It's nothing to do with our own strength. It's not about how hard we try. It's about what's already been done. It's about Christ, about Jesus. He is the one who transforms us. I mentioned earlier that we so often try to transform ourselves by what we do on the outside, hoping that it will change either the way we think or the way that, that our heart, uh, uh, what our desires. But if you go read in Romans 12, it says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and there's only one person who can renew our mind. We can simply try to change our mind. So keep going to him. We need to choose to put aside all the other things and make it our determined purpose to sit at his feet and know him, to become deeply and intimately acquainted with him. This doesn't mean that we become irrelevant to the world. In fact, it means the very opposite. It means that we become more relevant than ever before because when Christ moves through you, when his Holy Spirit empowers you to do what you're needing to do in that moment, you will always be meeting people at their point of need through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every single time, the Holy Spirit will move through you in a manner that will bless and encourage someone else. 
Because if you go look at the miracles, it was never someone having a miracle happen to themselves. And it was always under the power of the Spirit, so something would happen and it would bless more than themselves. And yes, we're blessed when it happens. And yes, we're encouraged when it happens. But the Spirit always moves through us to bless other people. We need to recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And apart from him, there is no way. And heaven is our destination. But in our destination, we need to also realize that it changes the way we live on our way there. While we're going, we're taking people with us. While we're going, we're saying, come alongside with me. Because I know someone that you need to know. Our lives should impact the lives around us. And it's because of this that we can say what it says in Galatians 2 verse 20. And please note that what, what's written there is not some poetic statement. But it is the truth of the gospel. And this is what it says. It, is, it says in the most famous part of it, it says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Well, if Christ lives in you and it says it's no longer I who live, well, by implication that means that me and my desires are dead. So our desires need to die so that the desires of God can be fulfilled in our lives. And if we're going to read in Romans 12, it, at the end of Romans 12, it actually says that as well. That as a result of our minds being transformed or being renewed and us being transformed, as a result of that, we can show the good and perfect will of God because He lives in us. We don't need to try and be righteous in and of ourselves. His Spirit is inside of us. In John 16, to summarize a portion of it, it basically says that His Holy Spirit empowers us, reminds us, helps us, comforts us, and teaches us. We need to live our life that way every day of our life. Continually going to Him and knowing and understanding that in and of ourselves we cannot do this. That in and of ourselves we do not have the right answers. That in and of ourselves our desires are probably incorrect. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live a life that will radically change those people around us. So 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, it is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, and then listen to this, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Again, nothing to do with what we do but accepting what he has already done. So my second point is Christ in us. And here I want to speak about how it's the power overflowing from his resurrection. Something happened when there was, when there was the resurrection, but something continues to happen because of the resurrection. We so often complicate things, but here's the reality. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he took sin upon himself so that we do not need to suffer the consequence of death. He took us from under the law of sin and death and he placed us under the law of life. He rose again to the right hand of the Father with the battle won and he's staying there interceding for us. And he chose to leave us, his Holy Spirit, so that he can teach us, remind us, comfort us and help us. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power, I'm gonna repeat that part, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. See, again, it's about him and not us. And 
concerning earthen vessels, it's specifically sp speaking about vessels that were made, they were made in a cheaper way, they were earthen vessels, the, the, the um, components used to make them were not for the, for, uh, for the ceremonial vessels, and, the, and as a result of that, they were more commonplace. But it's in these earthen vessels, in our bodies, in us, in mere humans, he's chosen to place his Holy Spirit inside of us. And if that's the case, then how can it be what we do and who we are? Because we are mere earthen vessels. But his power is inside of us. And we need to realize that it is because of the power of God in us that we now live. And it's because of that that our life is changed. So do not be deceived into living a comfortable Christian life. This means two things. It means that we need to believe the Bible over the world, and it means that we need to seek to grow in relationship with Him consistently, all the time. So when something is not congruent with the Bible, believe the Bible over what the world is saying. Because it is in the power of God, in the power of life, in the power of His Holy Spirit that we live, and as a result of that, we will go against things that maybe the world sees as normal and natural but he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. It's in his power that we live. So you've probably noticed that I keep bringing it back to in him, in him, in him. He is in us and we are in him. It is because of the finished work of the cross. We need to know and understand the full extent of what that cross means. And so many times we only treat it as a ticket to heaven, but it's so much more. And we need to know Christ to a full extent. Please know and understand this, that it's not about having a theology degree or having a whole, a whole bunch of knowledge, but it's about an encounter with God. When you encounter Him, the knowledge that you attain in the Word changes who you are. It becomes revelation. You need to encounter the Lord. So I want to read to you uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses four to five, and it says, and this is Paul reminding the Corinthians that he didn't come in, um, in his strength. In fact, by his own admission, he wasn't a very good public speaker. And it says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Christ lives in us. We are actually now dead. And because of that, his life is demonstrated in power through our lives. There's a baptism service that's gonna be happening after this service. If you have not been baptized, I encourage you to strongly consider, and uh, you may say, but I don't have time to go home and, and then come back. We uh, normally, I'm putting people under pressure now, we normally have extra towels. And so what if your car gets a little wet? Because eternal life and the things of God are so much more important. So this next, this next point that I want to bring across um, is my longest point, and I want to, in it, I'm going to share a few testimonies in it, and I don't share it because of anything to do with me, but because it's stuff that the Lord has done in my life. And as I share it, it's all about God. It's all pointing to Him and to His glory and to His power. And I share it because there's power in testimony, and I share it because we need to remind ourselves that we serve a living God who still moves today. So my third point is when miracles happen. 
And as we think about this, I want to, when we go back to Ephesians um, 3 verse 10, it's the portion transformed into his likeness. So I want to read it again. And as I read it, just take these components into the first one about uh, that we may know him more intimately. The second one, that there's power outflowing from his resurrection. So it says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him. As we live our life, is that our determined purpose? Or is it that we, we uh, shoot up shopping list prayers so that he can, he can move in the, th- in the small things that we think are important? Or is it that we may know him so that we know what he wants us to pray, what he wants us to do? that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly. I would summarize that as that He would show us His ways. And as He shows us His ways, it changes the way we live. And that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from His resurrection which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. That last part is probably not so popular as I read it, but that I may so share in his sufferings. In life, there's gonna be sufferings. And as we experience those sufferings, we should be transformed more into his likeness. So when miracles happen, being transformed into his likeness, I want to read to you from Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. This is a passage of scripture that Jesus read to open up and start his ministry. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now he read that and as, as Jesus read that, he was reading a prophetic scripture about him. And that was fulfilled at that time. But it's also being fulfilled today. It continues to be fulfilled. It was fulfilled in that Jesus did all of these things. But it continues to be fulfilled because when we come to Christ, we encounter him in that way too. It continues to be fulfilled because when we have come to Christ, others have come to experience him too through our lives. I want to encourage you that there are promises in the Bible. There are promises in the word. Go read through them and ask the Lord to make these promises come true in your own life. His spirit is in us for our sake and his spirit is upon us for others' sake. I'm gonna repeat that. His spirit is in us for our sake. He reminds us, he teaches us, he comforts us. He works in us. He convicts us of who we are, that we are now made righteous in him because we believe in him. But he's upon us for others' sake so that others can come to Christ, so that others experience the moving of his spirit, so that others can also be part of the kingdom of heaven. So I'm gonna read to you three scripture verses and if you're taking notes, you can simply write them down. It's, they're all from Acts. One is from Acts uh, 5, verse 12, and then same chapter, Acts 5, verses 15 and 16, and then lastly, Acts 19, verses 11 and 12. But I'm gonna just read, read through them one by one, straight into each other, and then explain a few things. 
Acts 19, it says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And then from, verse, from uh, chapter five, verse 12, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Verse 15, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, I just wanna stop and think about the practicalities of that, just for a second. If people were coming from further afield, from the surrounding cities, from Jerusalem, if they were coming for that, that means that it was normal for people to get healed when, for example, Peter went out. If they were just going, if his shadow just touches this person, and they, they might get healed, it means it was normal for, for them to see that. It was not an uncommon occurrence for Peter to see healing happen before his eyes. If at the hands of Paul, if they've kept bringing handkerchiefs and aprons to Paul, and they then took these, and they specifically went out to sick people to get them healed, it means it was normal for there to be healing when Paul prayed for healing. It was not uncommon. And I wonder why we've become so comfortable with it being uncommon. Why have we become so comfortable with not seeing the hand of God at work? I don't speak as if I've arrived there already, but I speak going, I read that in God's word, and I've experienced it in my life too, but I so want to see more of what happens in the Bible in my life. Do you? Do you yearn to see the hand of God move, but do you more so yearn to, to see his face? Is your determined purpose to know him intimately? To become intimately acquainted with all that he does and with who he is? And if it's the case that it was normal for that to happen, and if it's the case that it can be normal, it's actually the normal Christian life for it to happen in our lives, we're meant to be transformed into his likeness because Jesus said that we would do such things as he has done and do even greater. So if Jesus said that, remember I said we need to believe the Bible and the word of God over what, what the world says. If Jesus said that and it's in, it's in God's word, then what that means is we need to believe those words too. And if he said it, that he said that we would, well then we should. But so often we don't step out. We hide away out of fear because we think that if it doesn't happen, it's, an, it's a representation of us. Uh, I remember I was 17, um, 17 years old and um, uh, as a 17 year old, like most teenagers, I slept a lot, especially in the car when my dad was taking me to school. Um, and uh, there was this one occasion where I wasn't sleeping on the way to school. And um, it was a Monday, and we had, uh, I had come to, to, the, uh, to the evening service. And as that happened, I was really touched by the Lord in that service. And I remember going to school that morning, um, asking the Lord for this. And I, I asked God, and I said, Lord, I don't 
really know what this really means, but I pray that I will rather step out and make a mistake for you than not step out at all. So Lord, would you carry me when I do this? And I want to read to you from Acts 9 verse 6. I would, what I want you to get from this particular verse is the posture of Paul's heart. Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would you have me do? And you see, that question, I would venture to say that that's the juncture in a Christian's life between a radiant Christian life filled with God's power, seeing the move of his Holy Spirit in every part of what we do, and a powerless Christian life. Because we're not asking him, what would you have me do? Or if we are asking him, then we see him moving. Because when we're willing to ask, we're willing to act. And when we act out on it, he's, he moves through us. He doesn't need us to be perfect and he doesn't need us to know everything. He simply needs us to be willing. Willing and obedient. Our role in our relationship with Christ is to submit to him. Part of that is obedience. So our role and our purpose and our concern is obedience. He is his outcome. It's his spirit that heals. It's his Holy Spirit that moves. And when we speak about miracles, it's not only about healing. There are many, many miracles. And I think for us, healing is the one that, that um, is, seems the most tangible. But think about it, Joshua prayed this. They were winning the battle. Please understand, they were winning the battle and Joshua prays, Lord, may the sun stand still. Who prays that when they're winning the battle? They, they would actually go, maybe we, we'll, we'll reinforce ourselves here and we'll continue tomorrow. It went well today. But he knew what the Lord had told him to do and he knew who God was. So he called on him in his power. Do you know God? I think each person here does, but you want to know him fully. Is it your most determined purpose to seek him? You know, when we live a life like that, what we do is we live a life that's an interrupted life, much like Jesus did. Jesus would go to different places, but he would be interrupted by people seeking healing or restoration or some kind of intervention, a divine intervention. And as they came to him, they got ministered to exactly where they needed to be ministered to. Are we so busy with our plans that we forget God's plans? Maybe the interruption in your day is actually the thing that God purposed for your day. Maybe that person who walked into your office unexpectedly or gave you that call unexpectedly and you saw their name and you know it's gonna be a 30 to 45 minute conversation and you, you almost didn't answer. Maybe that person was who God wanted you to speak to. Maybe something he's placed inside of you, the deposit that he's placed inside of you. Maybe something he's done in your life was for you to share with that person. But if you're not living an interrupted life, if you're not hearing his voice, if you're not making a conscious effort to hear his voice, how is that going to happen? There's this juncture in our life. And it's in our life one day, and it's in our life every day. Do we ask, Lord, what would you have me do? So I want to read to you Acts 2, 42 and 43. 
And it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And we really like that part of the scripture. It sounds great and, and it is good. It's very good. But there's something that needs to be completed here. And it starts with, in verse 43, then reverential fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. You see, there's this prerequisite here, the reverence of God, submission to him. There's this prerequisite of going, Lord, what would you have me do? Because as long as you keep telling, Lord, and telling God, Lord, do this, do this, and do it in this way, I don't think you're gonna see much power. And there was a period of about six months in my life where I struggled to pray because I realized I caught myself praying one day where I really took stock of what I was saying. And I realized that I was praying to God and telling God, do it this way and like this and on this day. A little old me. Um, and then I struggled because I had to retrain myself. And that's why I often speak about this word submission. Because when we submit it, it's not about what we want, it's about what God wants. And when we submit it, so much more will happen through our lives. And it is with fear and trembling that Paul asked this question, but it is with power that God used him. And it is with boldness that we approach the Lord in his throne room, but it is with humility that we ask him, what would you have me do? And with that humility, we go out and then in boldness, be used in power. It's in our submission to Christ, our dependence on the Lord, and honoring of who he is, this understanding of who we are as well, this willingness to step out accordingly that we can get to see signs and wonders. Let us stick to our responsibility of being obedient and allow him to do what he does because we can't do that. So I, want to, I said I was, just going, I was gonna share a few testimonies I have seen people on their deathbeds being healed, where I will be the first to say, I actually didn't use my brain that day. I walked in, I didn't click that probably about a meter and a half to two meters worth of equipment on the side of the bed, probably means that the person is not, not going to survive. I didn't use my brain at all, not my smartest moment, but it allowed me to pray in faith. And then I prayed a one-liner prayer that I felt to pray. And then the next day I got called and I got told that this person is healed and that they've been discharged. And I thought, oh wow, praise the Lord. And the person who told me is you don't understand. They called their family to say goodbye and now they're out of hospital the next day. <laughs> praise the Lord. I've seen people healed of injury right before my eyes. I wanna give you an account of one. There was one gentleman he was hunched over, his shoulder couldn't move, he could barely move his arm further than this. And it was actually with an outreach that we did with the youth. And um, when I approached the gentleman with a, few other, uh, with a few of the youth, he was actually frightened of us. And then I asked him, is everything okay? And then he thought we were gonna hurt him because he has experienced so much abuse in his life. And then I, uncharacteristically asked him this, um, I, I wanted to know more, because normally when someone speaks something like that, you, you don't go into too much detail. 
especially if it's the first time saying hi. Um, and we asked, and then I realized he needed someone to say sorry on those people's behalves and to give him an opportunity to forgive them. So I just felt to do that. It was very strange for me, but I just asked. And I told him, well, I said, I ask for forgiveness on behalf of those people. Will you be willing to forgive them? And he said yes, and he did, and the strangest thing happened. His shoulder didn't hurt anymore. And, and again, all glory to God, because God touched him. God moved in his life. I've been part of services here at Choose Life Church, where during worship, people have been healed. Where people have come in and they've maybe had braces or maybe even been on crutches, and then they're leaving, and they're leaving and there's nothing wrong with them. I myself have been healed from tremendous injury. At a young age, they said that I wasn't going to live any longer. They told my parents, two more years and you'll probably pass away, so start saying your goodbyes. And I, well, I'm here. <laughs> so the doctors were wrong. But they were wrong because they didn't take into account God and His power. And I speak with this from a position of passion because we so regularly limit God because of our expectations. And we so regularly limit the Lord because we're not willing. We're not willing to put the things of the world down. We're not willing to make it our determined purpose to seek Him with all that we are. Because it's too comfortable. Because if we're honest, our lives right now, for the most part, even if we include beloved ESCOM, are very comfortable. <laughs> we find new ways of remaining comfortable, but we, we, we remain comfortable. What is God telling you to do that is uncomfortable? In your times with the Lord, where is he pulling you towards? Saying, come here, do this, and you're going, that's too big. So I want to zoom in specifically on one final testimony. And as I share this, I, I, I didn't plan on doing it this way, but as I share this, if there's anyone who is trusting for healing, of any kind, you have some sort of, either, either there's something wrong where there's pain, or there's something where you've been diagnosed with something and you can't, this is, seems to be the diagnosis and that's it, or even there's something where the doctors don't know what's wrong, could you please stand before I share this testimony? So as I share this testimony, I share it with you and I ask you to stand because when we share testimony, there's power in it. And the testimony of Jesus Christ is a spirit of prophecy. So as I share it, I'm gonna ask the Lord to do for you what he did for me. So what happened was is I was young and not so smart and I was involved in a mountain bike accident. And as I was involved in this mountain bike accident, eventually, long story short, I get into the hospital, and after a couple of hours, they wanted to see if there was something wrong with my neck. And so they go and they take x-rays. And in the first x-ray, it showed that the very top vertebra of mine was fractured. 
And to give a little bit of context on why that's particularly bad compared to the other ones is if the top one is fractured, you can suffer what's called an internal decapitation. And that means you can die without anyone even noticing something's wrong with you. So as they found this, I suddenly got very, very, very concerned. And they told me not to move. And they left the room and consulted, the doctors consulted. And then they came back and they wanted to take an x-ray of, of the same vertebrae from a different angle. But in the meantime, while they were gone, before they came back, this was the prayer that I prayed, or something to, to this effect. I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm sorry that I've been living as if I'm indestructible. And I repent of that. And if there's any way where you can heal me, please do. And then they came and they took that second x-ray. And I was completely healed. There was no fracture. To the point that they were, they were shocked, so they took the first one a second time. And that one then had no fracture. Now, I still went through the process of healing and recovery. I still had to drink through a straw for two weeks because my face, I decided to see if my face was stronger than the ground I lost. And I still had to go through all of that, but he healed me from that. There was repentance in my heart for what I was doing. I didn't realize.